You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Leon. Let's go! Custodiate Ipsos Custodes. Welcome to another episode of Ace Comicals. This is episode 83, the first in a series that we have decided we're doing, which is why we were silent last week, because we wanted to get this right. And that is watching The Watchmen. And uh, in case you haven't guessed, we're going to be discussing Watchmen. So uh, this first one in the series of three casts is going to be purely about the original comic, uh, the 12-issue maxi, maxi series that was originally published between 1986 and 1987, largely regarded as uh, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' greatest work. Um, one of the first actual comics to be collected and released as a graphic novel as well, which we will come to later on in the cast. Um, today, I am joined by Leon. Hey, hey. And uh, we have a guest. We have with us... Uh, streamer and ditb guy anthony askew there's another name you've mispronounced greg i'm sorry (laughs) anthony askew there we go i wasn't going to call you out but we were just talking about names that were hard to pronounce or we weren't sure about so hello everyone i guess we should kick off with uh introducing for those of you that may not know watchmen what watchmen is so um it is the 1986 and 87 12-issue maxi-series that deals with deals with the superhero genre in a really unique way. It was like the kind of first book to really open up and deconstruct the superhero genre and play with the idea of the superhero and present superheroes as something deeper. So I think we're lucky to think that that's the norm for us now. Not to take away from like the the old school superhero stuff, but this that feels to me so normal. Whereas if you were reading this back in the day, I bet some people were like, "Oh, this isn't what I signed up for," or like had a re. I I, I would like to think it had mixed reactions that then grew to hopefully a love for the for the piece. Yeah, I mean, history is written by the victors, but according to what you read about the reaction to it, it didn't actually. It had like a really, really, really good reception. Um, It was, yeah, it's almost as if this is what fans were crying out for. Hmm. Because this is the the book that, along with The Dark Knight Returns, kind of helped to usher in what we refer to as the Dark Age or the Modern Age of comics, where there was like greater political and psychological complexity and... You know, like, they were more violent, they were more, they dealt with, you know, like, more sexual themes, things like that, anti-heroes, morally, morally ambiguous in places, and, you know, the, the rise of the anti-hero and all of that stuff. So, Why um... Why so long? Um, I would say that's partially down to the comics code, uh, because mm-hmm. pre-code comics... We're talking about like some of the, um, you know, like the old horror books and stuff from the 1950s and things like that that I mention quite often on this cast. Yeah. Um, so like early, 
early examples of horror books and things like that and pre-code horror stories and things where they they were a little bit more salacious had sexual content um like uh a bit more um gratuitous in the way that they would draw rotting flesh violence etc and then the comics code came in which kind of meant things had to pull back from that a little bit and couldn't be as on the nose politically and things like that and um also traditionally superhero comics were aimed at a younger audience so things like the fantastic four and spider-man and all of these uh superhero comics that the the sort of like the the re the the re-energizing of superhero comics that happened in the 1960s when you get um these characters starting to like pop up like uh, the x-men and such where with jack kirby's heyday and whatever all of that stuff um was kind of usually a, like it was younger it was kids that were buying comics so these were aimed at a younger audience and so they were kind of a little bit more um brighter and happier and tailored that way and then things started to i mean things started to get a little bit more real in the 70s um towards the mid and end 70s you start to get some of it creeping back in again where they get a little bit more lax with the comics code and they get a little bit more into issues like drugs and things like that and start dealing with that type of stuff and then it's this and the dark knight returns that really kind of like threw the doors open what years dark knight returns again dark knight returns is 86 wow so it's like and this is like from this. So Dark Knight Returns actually was the summer before Watchmen. God, so, what a decade. For yeah. Change. I know. Imagine being a comics fan that year. Oh, I don't <laughs> even know if I would have known that I wanted that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I feel like the thing that's nuts as well with that is I think the previous year overlapping into 86 was Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was DC... Uh, basically having to pull in all their different universes and uh, Earth, Earth 1, 2, 5, 6, blah, 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 and bring it into one core thing. Yeah. It ballooned yeah. so big. So it, it was a fundamental changing point in the sort of the comics world at the time. Yeah, it's getting silly now, lads. Let's put a stopper in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what that was. That was DC going, lads. It's getting a bit silly now. We need to, uh, we need to streamline this. What can we do? I know, big event. And um, that was when Alan Moore got to do um, whatever happened to the Cape Crusader, wasn't it? Oh no, not what, that's that's Neil Gaiman. What am I saying? It's uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow was the Alan Moore one, which was about Superman. What happened to the Cape Crusader was the Batman one that Gaiman did. Gaiman did, um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's when he did um, the kind of like the ending for Superman, if you will. Like, how to bring all of that Superman stuff to a head, like, pre-crisis. They kind of wrote an ending for him kind of thing, which was to do mm. with that. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, so this was Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' sort of, like, brainchild. Those two having a discussion after a convention where Alan Moore was introduced to Dave Gibbons. Um, and they apparently went to a pub then sat on a sofa drawing pictures and passing pieces of paper backwards and forth and things like that. And thus Watchmen was born. God. Yeah. What I would have gave 
what I wouldn't have gave. No, what I would have gave to be in that pub. To be in that pub. To be in that room when, like, in Dave Gibbons' Just... living room while all this was happening. I mean, at the time, I probably would have thought, who are these... Well, who's yeah. this hairy yeah. dude? Yeah. Because he's pretty hairy. He is pretty hairy. Is Alan Moore, yeah, he's a wizard. Yeah, he's... Yeah. He's a wizard. And I, from what I understand, he's a lot less... Sorry, he's a lot friendlier than what people... Well, people lead him to, uh, yeah act. people have him pinned as this like um this unfriendly curmudgeon don't they this this like unkempt curmudgeon of comics <laughs> he just, just like, doesn't like his work being cast spells on people but yeah comic. i mean yeah he's just you know he just doesn't like people playing fast and loose with his ideas he just he mm. he wanted agency over his own ideas and obviously that's where him and well, comics I, he, fell out uh, See, in an interview, he just genuinely believes that the medium of film doesn't work hand in hand with with comics. Yeah, and or at least in adaptations. S- some ways, I agree with him. I mean, which we'll come on to in later casts in this series. Actually, oh, yeah. in this Watchmen series, we'll probably we're going to be talking about the because I think they had a, a real um, mare trying to adapt it, didn't they? Because if I remember something from way back when the when the Watchmen movie came out in two thousand and ten, was it two thousand and ten, two thousand nine? When I say way back, like it is way back though. Like I know it's eleven years ago, but yeah, geez, when that came out eleven years ago, apparently, like when people were talking about it back then, apparently they were having like. Wasn't there a bit of a game to try and adapt it or something to try and adapt well, the comic to a movie was properly? It, or was Terry Gilliam linked at one point to do a t- like a series? Yeah, well, he wanted to do it as a series, but he had the right, I think, as early as the nineties. Oh, right, okay. And then was it was it was it a Paul Greengrass link as well? I'm, I'm sure, sure he was attached before um, Snyder. before Snyder was attached. So, does anyone want to have a go? At synopsizing the story of Watchmen. I don't do synopsis. <laughs> we'll understand, need to know. This, this is your job, Ray. Usually yeah. it's Ray. Usually we make Ray do this. But um, Leon, do you want to have a go? Because I don't. I don't know where Before to start. Do, if, if I do it, it's going to sound really disjointed and like rambly and you know stuff about giant squids and stuff. So. Can I just stop? I know that I don't want to hijack the yeah. format because I listen yeah. to this every two weeks and I, I enjoy the format. But I want to know what each of yours, like, how did you find it? Like, how did you come across the comic? How old were you when you read it? And what were your initial impressions? Okay, so how did I come across Watchmen? So, um, I came across this in 2007. That's when the the version I've got, I've had since 2007. Mm. Um, and I think I came across this because I was hanging out with some people at the time who were hyped for the movie because they'd read this years prior and they turned me onto it. I'm shocked that that's how... And not that I'm like some old school watchman dude, but I thought you'd have been earlier than that, Greg. Well, no, funnily enough, um, because my comic tastes back then were quite, um, I don't know. I wasn't as, 
into the kind of like i used to stick to the the more like mainstream stuff i mean i guess watchman's you think i don't know can you what's mainstream <laughs> know, and what's not what mainstream yeah but you know what yeah. i mean i used to stick to things like batman spider-man like the more kind of like uh i don't know that was that was my i used to stick to that kind of stuff so i used to read an awful lot of batman back then and i used to read an awful, i mean i read like dark knight returns and stuff like that i used to love all that stuff but then, like, I hadn't, for some reason, I just hadn't ever really thought about Watchmen, and then I got turned on to it back then. Like, because... It feels like the kind of comic where your uncle says, look, stop reading these kids' books. Here's a one for you. <laughs> and I hand you the book. Because yeah. I feel like I'd never heard of it until... Well, I'll get them when, yeah. when you're finished, of course. Your uncle hands it to you with all the ash burns on it and cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> In a real splodge of blood. Yeah. Have a look at this. <laughs> some real human bean juice on it yeah <laughs> so uh leon where did you where did you find it um so in the so in i think in the early aughts i was on a quest to uh catch up on graphic novels and this is in my graphic novels phase when i was one of those douchebags whoa like, they're uh, a good type of people <laughs> well, they're, they're, well they're, they're here, here on Ace Comicals, we uh, we try not to um, differentiate too hard between graphic novel and comic askew, because oh, okay. they're essentially the same thing. And graphic novel is kind mm-hmm. of like something that someone would say that that you know, like thinks they're too old for comics. Maybe I don't know. It's oh, like it feels like that, industry, doesn't it? Yeah, the industry did bank on that. But yeah, back when I was yeah. in my graphic novels phase, it was like. I don't really, uh, don't really want to keep up with um, the ongoing affairs of like Batman and Spider Man, and maybe this is coincidental or like um, related. But in the late nineties, I'd been reading um, the uh, Spider Man Clone Saga, so maybe I needed a palate cleanse um, <laughs> from, from that period of time. But um, I remember I, I was really uh, in a period of like um, checking out all the. Oh, the comics you should have read, or but in in this case it was like the graphic novels, the more adult uh, stuff you should have read. In the same way that in the nineties, there was a big thing of like uh, where uh, we we're watching uh, anime, but back then we we referred to it as manga because of manga entertainment um, released uh, distributed a lot of the movies at the time. But these were like cartoons, but they were adult with like. Um, like adult type storylines and like violence and sex and stuff like that. So this was like the comic version of that. But I, I wanted to like, what are the best? So I'd always heard recommendations, uh, like people would always speak about it in hushed tones, like Watchmen, uh, Viva Vendetta. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, in back alleys. Because I was reading this on the internet at the time. But like, um, <laughs> they'd talk about those. They would talk about uh, Frank Miller's stuff at the time. Uh, as well as like uh, a few things here and there before it, we got to the 90s and Spawn and all that. But like there were these handful of comics, like Batman Year One is another one, where like I just people be talking about it all the time. So at the, t- um, at the time, I I just uh, ordered them all on Amazon, I think, um, and proceeded to read them one by one. So this would have been maybe 2002, the latest. Which means that Leon is probably the only one of the three of us that has got the um, 
the sort of like pre-remaster version, if you like, of the Watchmen comic book. Because there was a point when uh, they went back and they recolored it. Uh, when they reprinted it in 2005, um, <clears throat> John Higgins recolored it. He got a chance to go back and revisit the colors and um, give them a give them the the life that he couldn't give them originally with the constraints of the technology that he was working with at the time when they were coloring things by hand and and the 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 printing technology that they had back then versus what can be done digitally now um and we've actually been looking at some color comparisons before recording um you can actually see the difference in the comic page well i wasn't as in love with it not be one of those people but a kid at school had it and he had the original color uh, 100% because just of the time it must have been like 04 05 and i remember him reading it and he was like oh you've got to read it it's great it's great and i was like i don't like the look of this it's too dull looking and I, in my head, I saw it as like this, you know, like those comics for boys, like these weird, like pulpy, like, a, I don't know, like a group of dudes sent out in a war somewhere. And it's like, you know, these old school, like men do this, blah, blah, blah. And just not very exciting stuff, not very engaging, but it's like comics for boys were a thing. So I never fell in love with it then. And he borrowed me it. And I was like, actually, and then we, we are here where we are so I, I thankfully i have read the original colored version and i think that's probably why interestingly enough cause i didn't know there was two colored versions perhaps that's why i found the colors quite dull because it wasn't what um they actually wanted from it yeah it interesting didn't quite live up to the original vision and now it does hmm. so i think there's a difference between um the like palette that was used and getting it exactly as Higgins wanted. And I think that the palette was a definite uh, of um, deliberate choice to use those off colours to avoid your like blues and reds instead go for like purples mm. and golds. But but then the, the process of them being printed ends up where for some people it will it will won't look as vibrant as yeah. the recolored. So well yeah I mean a differentiation between the two. Yeah, they wanted it they they used a palette of mainly secondary colors to move away from the primary colors that dominate superhero comics or dominated superhero comics back then so rather than like the blues reds and yellows or whatever they moved away from that and they wanted to use secondary colors and they definitely chose that palette on purpose yeah and um that was like part of the creative process stuff that it looks it's like whoa and it catches mm. you, uh, not off guard, but it, it yeah. has more of an impact when they do change but, the palette. Because it happens at times. Yeah. It's even within, this, it's within the same palette. It's just, it's the same, it's the same colours. It's just instead of them coming out duller and, you know, instead of them not being able to do certain things that they would have liked mm. to have been able to do, they are not able to do those things because they have the power of, you know, digital colouring to, to help enhance that rather than the the technology that they were had by then there, there were restrictions and things just did not come out looking like the original watercolors because they should let an ai color it and see what uh, <laughs> how that looks jeez <laughs> imagine yeah because john john higgins did the um the original he did he watercolor he did it in watercolors and then he would have annotated that with a guide for the um the print 
So, like, to tell them, like, what quantities of cyan, etc., to use. God. That's, that's a whole process that I've never yeah. considered as a, yeah. as a thing. That's really cool. I mean, the amount of work, it's absolutely painstaking. The amount of work that, that would go in, that goes into making a comic, you would never mm-hmm. believe. Like, see, I would love to go back and slap well, 15-year-old me or whatever, and yeah. for somebody who looks at this now, it's like, how can anyone not just think this looks incredible? It does. It looks absolutely incredible. So, um, Watchmen is a story centred around a group of masked adventurers and one superhero. And it is set in an alternate history in our own world so it's our world but certain things happened differently and those things that happen differently happen differently because are because superheroes were actually a thing like people began to put masks on and fight crime and um it's how the world would react to the actual existence of superheroes it deals with the lives of these superheroes and the moral ambiguities and their reasons for being superheroes and what drives them what the the base urges in them that makes them become superheroes and don the tights and why they do it and what the public's reaction to that is and it's more or less just an exploration and well through that lens it's an exploration and a deconstruction of the superhero genre and uh, the plot centers around this uh, this group of superheroes called the watchmen um, who had been they had disbanded uh the government had forced them to disband via something called the keen act um most of them were retired some of them were working for the government and um there appears to be a plot and they are being supposedly taken out one by one or um it begins with the murder of one character now um we'll go through introducing the characters as well so the main sort of cast of this book um we'll start with the comedian who is the character who only really appears in flashbacks because he dies in the very beginning of the story. Um, Now, the comedian, um, he is this government operative. He wears the stars and stripes. Um, Not a very nice guy, really, is he? (laughs) To put it... uh, No. To put it mildly. I guess not. (laughs) And um, he's... uh, He's like a subversion of the Captain America idea. He's like... uh, The idea of the comedian character is to hold a mirror to the actual American dream. So we have this idealised version in comics where we have these patriotic heroes that are this idealised version of the American dream, of the all-American soldier, the American defender, etc. I.e. Captain America and characters such. Um, The comedian is supposedly the reality of that. Um, a true reflection of the American dream. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. (laughs) Um, he's, uh, also facially based on Groucho Marx. Which that kind of makes sense. But at the same time, I had to, when when you, when you told me that, I was like, really? And you see it and it's kind of like, yeah, I guess so. And the reason they did that stand out is because they wanted to do the clown thing, but they couldn't because Batman had do, mm. is already doing the clown thing with the Joker. And they're like, okay, so we call him the comedian. Let's uh, 
let's what can we do i know groucho marks <laughs> i guess <laughs> i'm really like yeah. I, you know he's not a very nice person but reading this again now i've read this multiple times I, I, not that i feel sorry for him in any any way shape or form but i think he's such a fantastic character oh yeah he's a well-written character he's just he is so good yeah he's just not a very nice and, character yeah i think just the fact that he's mm. like his story is i guess told from other people's experiences of him yeah so you always have their opinion yes i mean their opinions are right in like most cases but i don't know i think he's just such an interesting anti-hero Mm. Well, it's because he's quite a, a tragic character, um, yeah. and obviously we'll get into more detail, more detail with that. But there's, as you say, because his his story is told from different characters, and he is presented in a way where he's kind of a pragmatist, a, a realist. It's like the world sucks, um, everyone gets dirty, and I'm getting dirty doing my thing. He's mm. To a degree, it feels like he's cracked the code of the worst parts of humanity, and he, he, um, it, it's, it's a place where he thrives because he doesn't really uh, have time for the niceties or the nonsense. He's a person who uh, gets the job done mm. and um, lets lets all of the sort of horrible nihilism just wash over him. And he gets away with it as well, with him being like this government hand that he kind of gets to do what he wants. Mm. And he kind of, perhaps, like a blind eye looked upon it uh, most of the time. Which I, I love the fact that the opening scene with him dying, you see, I guess this character who you're not meant to like, you see him with this really strong vulnerability from the offset. Yeah. So you, you, see, him, you see this old man getting beaten up and killed. But then when they're, the when they're examining his body... you do have a big body, sense of sympathy yeah. for him. Until you learn about him. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean... There's what no other way wo- to kind of gloss over it, but... No, but, yeah, I mean, what what else was going to happen to someone that lived like that? Hmm. You know? Well, this is what I think is one of the early, like, genius points with the comic where... We're set up. We we we're seeing someone uh, be like brutally murdered, and we get it in in like flashbacks as the cops uh, are referring to it, and uh, as Rorschach himself is uh, in the apartment. So we don't actually see it play out like that. Instead, we we get it mirrored from panels, and we, we sort of mm-hmm. see what happened. And from our point of view, uh, all we know is a few things here and there at the time that oh, it's this person who's in a picture with like. Nixon or something it's like whoa he's in a picture with the president who is this guy because <laughs> yeah. the cops he's just some weird old guy and then things are only the doors only opened immediately literally when Rorschach opens up the uh his head in his closet uh, and finds all of his gear and it's like for us as the reader for the first time it's like oh this old guy he was taking out uh taken out he was he was a superhero and then that's where it, it begins to uh complicate um everything from that point on yeah. and it seems like he's using his real name by then as well they refer to him less as the comedian and more as edward blake well i would think that obviously most of the yeah. the masked heroes aren't ever named i think there's only yeah. like hollis hollis mason uh does do they know john's name i mean the government obviously knows yeah Dr. john john announces his name after his dad dies yeah 
Oh yes, that's a key part. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's a key moment. Um, the oh, um... that's a sad moment because mm. his dad never knew what happened to him. Is that right? Yeah, that's sad. There's so yeah. many sad things that never rung with me as a kid so much. Not that I was this heartless teenager, but when you have time to properly take it all in and yeah, you know, wow, that's that's well, a point I wanted to make. It's like it was like reading a completely different book when I read it again now compared yeah. to when I read it last about 10, 11 well, years ago. Well, the understanding of the world changes. and Yeah. Unfortunately, the same wrongs that these people are committing then are still very much a thing, a thing now. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. So I was going to come on to the next one, which is Dan Dryberg, the, uh, the Night Owl. Um, now, he's kind of like the... Um, if you like the Batman analog, um, kind of like, you know, the gadgets and the, the, the rich bored guy who becomes a superhero because what else is there to do with my money? You know, uh, which I think is something he even says in the book, isn't it? Um, and he is the night owl. He wears the costume. He's very, a little more theatrical than the rest of them, I think. Um, yeah, has, because he, yeah. um, actually grew up um as a comics fan and he was particularly yeah. a fan of the original night owl, uh, owl hollis mason yeah. so he is night owl too yeah so he's like your batman or uh your blue beetle which i'll come on to in a moment uh you've also got um dr manhattan um who is probably like the kind of linchpin here because he's the only one with actual superpowers um now he is kind of like the Superman analog, um, sort of based on Captain Atom. Um, and a lot of the book kind of revolves around how it would deal with someone with actual powers. Because, I mean, he's not just got powers. He's basically a god. And he's really detached from humanity now because he doesn't feel human anymore. Um, which is a lot of what the story deals with as well. Like him you know, why should I care about humans when I'm no longer human? I have transcended humanity. I am something else. Uh, we have the Silk Spectre, who is um, the, fe- the the only female character in the group. And uh, she followed in her mother's footsteps. And um, for her, this is kind of like, it was like a publicity thing. It was like a modeling career, but she was also a crime fighter. Um, and she... Um, I think she sort of, she ends up, her, her story kind of revolves around her, like, being pushed to fulfill her mother's dreams, I guess, isn't it? And also, like, um, dealing with... Yeah, um, because she's, she's kind of like, um, a sort of child actor type thing. Yeah, yeah. a, a kid who got big off like pageantry where they're, they're yeah it's one parent just pushing them to live their dreams through their kids she's yeah. sort of an analog of that yeah exactly um and you've got ozymandias the world's smartest man um he is um i guess as the book goes you could almost say he's more like a supervillain than a hero um, but he is, um, he's based on a character called Thunderbolt, um, who 
was another Charlton Comics character, which we'll come on to in a moment. But he, um, his whole thing is that he's super intelligent. He's super smart. He's a very accomplished businessman. He, he has this need to prove himself to the world, to prove that he can do things and to prove that he can achieve things. Like he has this, like he's like the classic overachiever. He wants to achieve things. He wants to prove. He's, he's like he's constantly got something to prove to the world. I think is the whole well, crux with him. To follow his well, his hero's footsteps, isn't it? He Alexander the Great. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say then... he's kind of got superpowers as well. Yeah. In, I, uh, I mean, it's a stretch yeah. compared to Manhattan and other superheroes, but his abilities are beyond human. Yeah, he's incredibly well-trained, uh, has an incredibly sharp mind, um, almost beyond human, but the whole point of him is that I have achieved this and I am human. Mm. And he has achieved this through strict training and everything else. You know, he's he's done this by being him um and that brings us on to the final character possibly the most interesting character of the group which is rorschach now rorschach um he even looks like the question he's based on a, a chart an old charlton Carrots character called the question who is also now a, he's like sort of like a mainstay in the dc dcu now actually a lot of these charlton characters actually uh were co-opted into the into into the dc universe so when uh, Charlton basically, basically DC kind of like took these characters from Charlton and gave them a place in the DCU and uh, DC will publish stories which include these characters you may have heard of the question in the Blue Beetle etc um, now Rorschach is um, he's an, uh, how do you describe what Rorschach is he's just crazy isn't he he's like he's paranoid he's um it's like he put the mask on one day and never took it off. I guess is the easiest way to explain it. He he lost something of himself when he decided to become a superhero. And again, he's not a very nice person. Um, but he used to be all right. Yeah, yeah he used to be all right. <laughs> but then he, he just kind of slowly got worse and fell into a downward spiral. And he is like the ultimate nihilist, I guess. Yeah, it's also he is someone who has quite a moral, uh, quite moral absolutes. There's yeah. no shades of grey whatsoever. Uh, there's it's only all black, and uh, white. black and white, and yeah. um, that he has an unf- unflinching sort of objectivist, near fascist take on that. Where, yeah, yeah. Uh, if someone's not good, then they're automatically bad. Yeah, and if you get caught speeding down the street, he'll come and break your wrist. Yeah, regardless of the you could be rushing your pregnant wife to the hospital. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not rules. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which is again like an an absolute extreme version of the question. Which which (laughs) which is Mister A, isn't it? Which is Ditko's other creation. Yeah, that 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 like basically Ditko. His his whole he was he was a massive objectivist. He was like he basically must have read some Ayn Rand at one point, and then like that was his his philosophy was objectivism. So he he kind of began to pour that into his characters, and um, that's where we get the question from. And Mister A, as you might as you just rightly said there, yeah. So um, this is what Rorschach is. 
In fact, the character design is basically the question, but filthy. (laughs) (laughs) Though, someone who... This is my... Rorschach is my question, if that makes sense. Like he's my yeah, the question. Yeah. Like, I don't have any other yeah. character that he's based upon. He is the like the original. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there are characters with in his their mask. Own right. Does yeah. the questions mask change? No, the question the, the question doesn't have a face. No. So he has a, the has question. He not got the question. Has he got a, like a face? Anything? No, it's That's... literally just a blank mask. So... Oh right, okay. I mean, yeah, I do it... like that design a lot. I yeah. do like that design. Yeah, but it's a genius stroke to have mm. Rorschach's mask change in every frame. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, it's like you know what can we do to yeah. do this? And the, the logic behind it, how it's explained, how it works, is perfection as well. Yeah, I love that. Like, I, I that... remember that as a kid. Whereas yeah. this time around, I was like, oh, that's actually really well considered. It's probably my favorite issue, actually, the the Rorschach one where he's uh, he's talking to the psychiatrist. Oh, I don't think I could pick a favorite. That's that's got to be my favorite issue. Oh, um, but yeah, I mean, largely because I think out of all the characters, I find Rorschach the most interesting. Um, I mean, as a kid or when I was younger, I was fascinated because I, I love yeah. like film noir stuff and like the idea of yeah. this detective. And when you kind of reveal his face and you understand what it's like, it's, it just adds so many more layers. And I think as a kid, I was kind of disappointed he wasn't this suave, cool like cliche and obviously now i'm mm. very happy with whatever he is for me like obviously the, the noir detective thing like when i was younger reading this it was like yeah this this cool noir detective but now mm. when i read it i actually start to see how much he goes around in ever decreasing circles with his ramblings and things like that <laughs> so when you read his dialogue when you read his descriptions and his uh you know his little um his narrations like his Rorschach journal entries, like he's, he's constantly like going over his own footsteps again. He's just like spinning and he doesn't, he's not actually solving anything or getting any closer to the truth. He's just, Oh, I think he is. I think if anything, he is the, the linchpin of the mystery without him. I feel without him alerting the others. He's the one who's like, there's a, uh, there's a conspiracy without him. I think they wouldn't have got anywhere. Yeah, and he's the only one. Manhattan oh, sorry, knew from the beginning. <clears throat> yeah, time for him is ever present, or however you want yeah. to describe it. So yeah, because uh, yeah, Doctor Manhattan exists across all time and space. He yeah. is like, I don't know how to describe his powers other than he's a god. They yes. do a really good job of showing how his inner mind works like mm. they could describe it till, till they're blue in the face not want to make a pun but <laughs> but they managed to do it in a way that still seems like yeah. i can't comprehend it mm. but still kind of grasp it to a degree especially in the last chapter yeah where they show like him speaking but it's him answering someone else's question later yeah. on down the line exactly so, so clever in the um in the in its beginnings uh, the original idea for this book, for this uh, this group of superheroes, was that they were going to use the the Charlton characters that DC had recently acquired by that point. Um, but the um, DC bigwigs had other ideas. Um, they didn't want the Charlton characters to be used and not have any basically at, at the end of this at the end of this project there wouldn't have been anywhere they could have taken these characters it would have been a closed door 
And I don't think they wanted that. They wanted they they saw potential other potentially with those other potential with those characters, and they didn't want them to be sort of like boxed in with such a killed definite. Off. And that's the thing. They'd, well, yeah, killed off. Yeah, <laughs> they'd bought them not that long before they started to happen. Yeah, so it would have been kind of brutal to spend the money acquiring the yeah. uh, license. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alan Moore's like, "I want to kill him," and then DC's like, "No, Alan." <laughs> no. The thing is, I mean, I totally get the logic behind that, but surely yeah. now that is way more common. Where in an like an arc or a like a telling of a character's story, they didn't feel free to kill them off. And they'll just be in a different. But I guess you've got to, rem- you got to remember yeah. as well as that Crisis on Infinite Earths is planned to come out before this. Yeah. And that was their whole thing of fixing everything. And they, brought, yeah. they killed uh, some characters off. They brought some back from the dead. Right. I, see. I don't. I don't think they wanted. They. 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 They basically like literally just bought. They like brand new. They didn't want the the toys broken straight away. You know. <laughs> so yeah, they 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 caught, sort of encouraged them to come up with original characters, which is what they did, which ended up as analogs of these Charlton characters anyway. Like, um, or even like flat out mirror image subversions of because uh, the comedian would have been the peacemaker, and the peacemaker famously as a character was a pacifist. Um, and he only used non-lethal ways of subduing criminals. Well, um, Ozymandias is a pacifist, isn't he? I'm he sure is the reference this, yeah. about, like, he's not going to hurt us, he's a pacifist, and all this yeah. stuff towards the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah I wonder the... how it would have sailed if they did use these non-original characters in this story. I wonder ah, how well, different... There's, there is, oh. there is, um, there is a, there is a, a, a glimpse or a glimmer of that you do get a peek behind that curtain if you go and read pax americana which is part of the dc multiversity book okay the dc multiversity arc as it were um event thing because i've got it collected in a single i've got it i've got like the dc multiversity collection if you read the um the pax americana issue which is basically watchmen but um they use these actual uh, thingy characters instead. I'd be interested to see or a Watchmen-style story. Yeah, using these um, the Charlton characters, and it is it is a masterpiece as a single issue comic. It is an absolute masterpiece. I think we've mentioned it a few times on this cast, haven't we? Yeah, I'm sure it comes we've up. Not, yeah, yeah, we have, um, but we've not properly dived in, so we can do that on one of the future episodes. Yeah, that's that's coming on one of the future Watchmen episodes. But yeah, so that's you get to look at that, which is interesting. That I, I quite like that they did that. Actually, that's quite. Um... Well, I'm pleased they use original characters because I find somebody who doesn't read comics as much as you guys, the idea of reading a story about an established character is slightly off-putting. And can mm. borderline be intimidating and you think oh maybe i'll not bother so the fact that yeah. yes they are kind of established characters and their inspiration as yeah. a reader you don't have to have that weight but like mind what... you this is so well written it wouldn't matter mm. who the character were to be honest exactly what this book did what it opened up for the industry though was it kind of like ushered in this uh this age of these stories where you didn't need prior knowledge of characters like for example you could you could enjoy Dark Knight Returns without having a lot of prior Batman knowledge. Mm. And you know, weirdly, I feel like everyone's got some Batman yeah. knowledge. Like this, this 
I think the reason this could be collected into a single into a single volume like this originally, I think the whole thing when they were thinking about when they did it, when they collected it into a single volume, was a because of the critical acclaim, and b because you didn't need any prior knowledge. You didn't have to go hunting for back issues to find out who the comedian was. It was you know it's all there, and it's laid out I mean, start to finish in twelve issues. That's that's it, beginning, middle, end. I think relying on kind of exists not to say it's lazy yeah but it shows a story doesn't require which we all know it doesn't we don't need to be spoon-fed information whereas yeah. just as like an initial impression it is nice to have yeah. something but obviously once you get into it this ugh, there's nothing quite like this it well, there it, is now but it it, yeah. it was the first the first ever i mean i don't think they ever intended it to be collected like this when they were writing it when they originally conceived it i don't think it was intended um for for it to be collected into a novel for it to you know i don't think that was the intent but obviously because it had a start middle and end it lent itself to the format and that kind of ushered in this this graphic novel culture that now pervades throughout comics and you know like or, or more specifically trade paperbacks where arcs are collected and you can read a single arc you don't have to you can just dip in and dip out in places by just picking up a single arc of a character and enjoying it you know things are collected into neat little arcs and you can enjoy <laughs> a story involving a single character and a single villain and you owe it all to Watchmen <laughs> in a way but yeah um before that they didn't th there was never really this practice of collecting comics together um this and and dark knight returns were like the first two kind of thing so it's a trailblazer in that way. So, yeah, this this book, as we've already said, it completely deconstructs the idea of the comic book hero and it peels back the layers to the wooden frame of the superhero comic. Um, and then it, it places that frame in the real world and this is what we get. We get the Watchmen story, which is... Um, it's a book about her a hero trying to save the world at the root of it, but it's the way he saves the world, I think which is very real it's like it's like something that it's very well it, it's very real in its um in it, its consequences i guess in the way is there anything else that had done this or, or that kind of the kind of the bad guys actually the good guy saving it for like a greater good was there anything else that had done that i guess i want to call it a twist before because it feels like nothing else can do it again without being just compared to this um i wouldn't off the top of my head i wouldn't be able to tell you because i mean still i know blows my mind honestly yeah. really i think it's such a fantastic resolution mm. so bittersweet but logical <laughs> i know there are other there are other like uh examples of this type of story out there mm. i just don't know you know where to start in i, I can't you know what i mean this is not there right now the knowledge isn't there yeah. i've been living inside like we were saying before the cast i've been living inside watchman for two weeks <laughs> in the lead up to this <laughs> you know i i feel like I, I feel like I probably smell like Rorschach. <laughs> and 
you know, upon finishing this book, I, I knew what it was that Kat screamed about in the middle of the night, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so... <laughs> It took me this... a lot longer to read this time round than I expected. Yeah, before same. I started reading it again, I, I googled, which is a silly, yeah. silly thing to do. How long to read Watchmen? And it reckons I think it was seven and a half hours. BS. I well, honestly think one yeah. chapter and it's like pages after hour and a half, two hours, easy. Seriously, I don't know. Mm. Long time in this. I think. I think the the, the actual chapter itself, like it, ordinarily. I can get through a single issue of a comic in about 15 minutes. That's um, with the Watchmen back matter, um, like you like these extra, like um, half a novel at the back of each issue because they do a lot of world building in this actually, which um, yeah. So the whole point of this is it, it builds this, this, um, this alternate America, this alternate America on the brink of nuclear war, um, where President Nixon is still in charge and shouldn't be by this point and things like that. And it's just, um, it, it builds that through the the kind of notes and the kind of extra matter it gives you in the back of the book, like excerpts from... Um, uh, like Hollis Mason's yeah. autobiography. Yeah, the autobiographies. Yeah, comedian's and, character. Yeah. There's like articles, like Rorschach's... Notes from his therapist yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, so all that kind of stuff, like extra, extra little bits um, in the backs of each of these issues, which kind of just builds the world. And there's like one of the most interesting ones that they do actually is they give you um, like an alternate comics history for pirate comics because this was actually something that was when the book was conceived, it was a throwaway idea as something to be different in this world from our world. So in this world, for example, because superheroes were real, people didn't want to read about superheroes in comics anymore. So the superhero comic went out of fashion and people started writing pirate stories instead. <laughs> and uh, pirate comics became a huge thing in this. So this whole thing about pirate comics and they, they, they come up with this whole alternative comics history almost. Uh, through the history of pirate comics um and that's like detailed in an article in the back of one of the comics which i i thought was really interesting because they they actually like um they use ec comics which is an actual comics publisher which is now owned by i think dark horse owned the rights to a lot of ec stuff and publish a lot of ec stuff or ec publish ec lease their stuff to be published through Dark Horse, because Dark Horse publish a lot of the old, um, they publish collections of a lot of the old uh, horror comics that EC used to publish. Um, and I thought that was pretty interesting, and I quite like the idea of pirate comics. And I, I went looking for, I was like, I wonder, I wonder how many actual pirate comics there are. And funny enough, there's not that, there's not any like real like you know like pirate stories comics or whatever. Not like One Piece. You're talking like Buccaneers and proper. I'm talking, yeah, I'd be talking, yeah, because One Piece is a pirate comic, but yeah. I'm I'm talking like, <laughs> being silly. yeah, Western, I was thinking Western pirate comics, like pirate comics in the tradition of um, like comics about pure pirates, like, like about like a comic about the life of Blackbeard or whatever, you know, yeah, Edward Teach or all that kind of stuff. But 
there's not there's not a lot of it out there or, or even pirate comics that are um like uh, anthology style comics like horror comics used to be so pirate comic magazines type thing but yeah the, it's weird because in fact there's 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 absolutely nothing actually that i could really find i mean i'll probably get corrected if anybody knows about any pirate comics <laughs> then then please send them to me like link them to me or whatever and I'll, I'll check them out but as far as i could find scouring the internet i couldn't find anything so that's still an original idea for that book and something fairly original like the idea that obviously because superheroes were real that people were putting on real masks and and donning masks and, and fighting crime that superhero comics would fall out of favor that people would enjoy pirate comics instead that was something that really worked for me actually that was it's it's weird though because i mean the comic the uh the black freight one that they use yes is so dark and bleak and I, in in my own head i would expect in a world of this where everything is just awful like dark everyone lives in poverty to it's it's very dark it's it seems like the kind of world where they'd want uh like these nice not unicorns but like nice happy comics to take them out of this yeah uh like the the drab of their lives but yet obviously uh bernie the the guy reading it the young kid reading it he's enamored with this negative story when in reality all this way worse stuff is, is that... just literally to his left and to his right and the like the the device of using the narration in the story and using the pirate story to frame what's happening in real life like they do throughout the book is really good. I think some of those chapters are what really take me a while to read because you automatically read the bubble and then you're like, oh shit, this isn't a bubble for what's going on with Night Owl. This is something else. But obviously it's juxtaposition. Uh, juxtapos- juxtaposition juxtapose so is it not juxtapose? juxtaposed juxtapose that's the one <laughs> with the, obviously the imagery of what's going on so well yeah they, it's like they have this perfect comic and they're like you know what would make this better let's chuck in this like side story that is just in yeah. line with everything and of course it's even bigger because obviously the author of that is very much part of the story uh, yeah in the finale i remember as a kid being like why is this in here? I, I actually, the the end of the chapter, like pages where you read the like, Mason's autobiography, I skipped them as a kid. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, even now, when I read comics, you know, I, I was listening to you guys saying like, "Oh, there's some great interviews with the the writer at the end, letters from the fans." I never read those. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's it's and it's never something I'm interested but, in. But obviously, yeah, this so important to the story. I, I wrote a letter to a comic once. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but you never read it, did you? No, did you ever well, read no. Murder Falcon? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> I don't think it's my cup of tea. Oh, you'd love it. No, but yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just... Um, going back to like the character designs again... Um, I've uh, so there's this other book that is like a companion book to Watchmen that I've got, which is, um, it's called Watching the Watchmen, and um, it's uh, sort of like Dave Gibbons kind of like breaking down the creative process for the Watchmen book, um, and it kind of explains like where certain ideas came from and gives you a look at some concept drawings and some of like the the original art and things and and like 
character designs and stuff like that. And uh, I was flicking through it the other night, and there's some absolutely bizarre character designs for Rorschach, isn't there? Because I remember showing you guys, like, Rorschach didn't start life looking exactly like the question. He started life um, in a... Yeah, well, no, like, not the streaker, the full, the full body Rorschach suit. He had like this full body suit made out of like the same material that his mask was made out of, like this full body Rorschach block. So, yeah, naked Rorschach. Like, like he wasn't like, cause there is flasher Rorschach, but we'll come on to that. But <laughs> like these are like different action figures, you know, like those old Batman toys you used to be able to get. Mm. Um, like the Batman animated series toys where they all had like different like things like, spring action wings and stuff like that what's a spring action flasher toy i'll I'll talk about that in a minute because i had the idea in my head like for hours but anyway like this this naked rorschach is basically just rorschach in an all-over bodysuit kind of like the riddler in um the uh the like the i guess is it the 70s 70s riddler and also you could say um for a more recent uh, example of this uh jim carrey's riddler where he's wearing like the skin tight green bodysuit with all the question marks all over it but imagine that but like white with a mask like a morph suit he's wearing like a rorschach morphs he's like the pepsi man (laughs) (laughs) the rorschach so that was one of the designs and then like the most bizarre design they ever did in like they said that they they knew this was never going to work when they did it, and I don't know why. <laughs> so he's wearing the all over the all over Rorschach morph suit, but then <laughs> I can't even remember what, which one you're talking about. <laughs> he's got a, a like a Mac, like a rain Mac, and a hat, like a you know like a like a proper like when people t- when when people describe a flasher to you. Someone in like a big coat, like but naked under the coat, and then just like opens the coat kind of thing, <laughs> like the you know and and like but Rorschach, but a design of Rorschach that was like a flasher. So he had the hat on and the coat, and he had these like these. He's got these like bizarre like knee high tweed things on, like the, <laughs> that hide it's- the fact that he's not wearing trousers. <laughs> Maybe this is what Moore and Gibbons were like seven <laughs> pints deep in that pub. It's yeah. what's been started with that design. <laughs> Flash of Rorschach. Well, oh. apparently he goes around just opening his coat. Um, but like he's he's got like the coat on. When he opens the coat, he's got the the, the like the Rorschach block morph suit on underneath. And I'm just imagining an action figure that's got like a spring loaded coat. So the arms like are there and then you just press the button on his back and it just goes chunk and just like flips open kind of thing. You know, I quite fancied buying that art book, but I don't think I want it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I think some things are best left unknown. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Flasher Rorschach here. So like Rorschach went through some bizarre designs before they finally decided, why don't we just like, make him the question but with a blot face instead <laughs> which works really well 
because I don't obviously like we were saying this weren't we when we were discussing because I sent you guys these pictures when I was flicking through the book earlier this week and you raised an interesting point ask you because you said wouldn't that design of Rorschach the one that you called laughing cow man where it was like the oh, yeah. Over, yeah wouldn't that drastically alter the character as in like the way that the story played out as in the character the way the character behaved and I feel like it would have yeah I mean, for a start, the top knot seeing that go down the street wouldn't be intimidated at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's masked crusaders less so than like, I guess Night Owl's a suit, like wears a suit, but no, I like the idea of a mask. You know, you, you yeah. wear a mask to change who you are rather than a, mm. then again, his outfit. Rorschach's outfit is very much part of his his mask as well, which you yeah. know he has to go back to his apartment to get yeah. his full outfit, not just one of the masks. But a question though, yeah. So I, I don't want to dive off too much, but why? Because the whole his mask comes from the fact that there was a dress made with material that Manhattan had created and all this kind of stuff. Why isn't there like people walking down the street in like Rorschach dresses? Because that was a one of a kind, and the model that was supposed to wear it decided not to, so it never got seen by the public. Okay, uh, question answered. Question answered. I think I think that's 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 the way it's described in the book, and I think that's the mm. idea that because the the model never wore it, she never, like the the public would never have seen it. I guess so they wouldn't have wanted it. I don't know. Never caught on. Yeah, never caught on as a fashion. And statement. of course, there's a sad story as to why she didn't, isn't it? Yeah. She gets murdered or something like that, and then yeah. Or did she get? Murdered? Of course, everything to do with Rosh. I'm sure she yeah. gets, or she goes missing or something like that. And I think yeah, yeah. Or she she no she decides she doesn't like it because they make it. They show it her, and she's like, I don't like it. I'm sure something happens to her because I'm sure he yeah. like. He I think she like dies shortly guilt. after that. She gets murdered yeah, shortly and after like that. Some or something. weird guilt that he feels, and then yeah. it draws him to taking this fabric home or. And then he takes it, it, takes it home, and he practices on it, and he learns how to cut it up without. But in the beginning, he's not doing it to um, to to make a mask or be, for any reason. He's doing it just because, and he's almost doing it so that he can like change it so it doesn't look like a woman anymore. Because yeah, I'd have to reread that bit because it's, yeah. it's very key in the comic. Whereas, not to mention the film, but mention the film, it's just it's just a mask in the film. Yeah, but in the comic, there's like this whole like I mean that is that's probably the best issue of the comic, and a lot of that gets skirted over in the film. Um, oh, the I mean, I, I, that's for the next. Honestly, I mm. could. Yeah, that's different. That's yeah. a different episode. But yeah, so yeah, that's part of Rorschach's um, part of Rorschach because well, part of the tragedy of well, Rorschach. I suppose. He he's got like almost like another character in himself as well, yeah, which is him yeah. without his mask, which mm. obviously we've touched on. But his entire backstory is obviously extremely tragic. Yeah, uh, but it's interesting to see. Like obviously, they're, it's a big thing where they have this confidence that they don't have normally as themselves just by putting on a a mask which is uh night owl yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Which and, he is i remember thinking yeah. he was so lame like and to be honest i still think he's pretty lame 
He is. He's but, a bit. Um, yeah, he's a bit of a wet blanket. He really is. Now, I was never fond of his design. Yeah. I don't know why, whereas now rereading it again, some of the yeah. scenes with with him and like when, he, when he's going to sleep mm. with Laurie and he can't get it up or, or they're not seeing eye to eye. And it's just him stood there with his like, belly out, basically. I know he's not wearing the night owl suit, but looking at the, the suit. I think that's one of my favorites because I think that goes over two pages and it's just no, no dialogue or anything. And yeah. I just think it's such a... A moment, yeah, my, for, for his character. My favorite bit with them two, which actually made me laugh. Um, it's it's like a thing. I I don't know if it's supposed to be a gag or not, but it's like a running theme throughout the book. Nostalgia for men. The the uh, the the aftershave, mm-hmm. and you, it pops up in all sorts of different places. And there's this bit at the end where they're both crying, and as they're crying, they're getting undressed. And they're in uh, Ozymandias' Antarctic base. And, <laughs> like, you can just imagine them, like, saying it between weeping. Like, um, Silk Spectre asks him what he... Sm- Laurie asks him what he smells of. And he says, nostalgia. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that's one of my least favourite moments in the not because of that whatever that's meant to be but I, I feel think like that bit feels very clunky I, does, I'm not but, wanting to rip this apart yeah but they've just found out uh, three million people have died in New York and potentially more blah 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 and I mean this this is kind of Laurie's character I think this is important yeah. to her character she's kind of thinking about that but at the same time what about John what about what's going to happen with me essentially yeah. she's she's quite self-centred yeah, and I mean, after they're all mm. faulted and or well, human yeah. in many many ways, but I, I don't I don't remember that being as stilted when I first read it. Whether it's intentional, mm. it's probably intentional. Oh but yeah, this time around, I was like, oh, don't do this, don't you know? And I'm surprised that they sleep together at that. But point. I, I don't. I mean, for that, I just feel like that because I, I was like, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And then he says nostalgia, and I'm like, oh, it's a perfume gag. I don't even know whether it is a gag. I don't. I honestly don't know. Like that felt to me like a gag. Like when he turns around and says nostalgia, just that line, like I smell like nostalgia. That's how, that. That's like it. Like it, it. felt to me like a like a joke. I don't know why. See, is it not him basically saying, like, because obviously they've not done the job for it. They've not done this adventure and stuff for a while. They do it with the prison. They they break Rorschach out. And is it not just him basically saying? we're back or like um accepting what's happened is kind well, of yeah. rekindled their own con- or his confidence in it. I, I honestly i i don't know could about be. that scene. but then but then there's the bit where rorschach is arrested and mm. they're like what's that smell is that cologne and then it turns out he had a broken bottle of nostalgia in his pocket <laughs> i didn't uh, maybe it needs a, another re- I didn't. So I think it's I like a, you're wrong, but and then and then um, Laurie throws the bottle of nostalgia at the wall um, on oh, John's yeah, glass on palace Mars. on Mars. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think this nostalgia perfume thing, and and it's 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 um, it's Adrian's perfume line, isn't it? Yeah. Which that's only just kind of making sense so, now what, what what i'm not understanding from you guys so what's the question here in terms of the nostalgia thing 
like what it means or what? No, well, I guess so, but like, because Greg, obviously, I don't particularly like that scene. I don't like the way the characters react suddenly to. But I'm, I'm saying it made me laugh when when he turns around and says, "I smell like nostalgia," and I feel like it's like a gag that is running throughout the comic with this nostalgia perfume. I don't know. Uh I always assumed all of that was like, uh, as as you get throughout the whole book, you have like uh, plays on words and plays on themes. And the fact that the perfume's named nostalgia, but all the different elements in which it's uh, deployed throughout the book, I thought that all of that was like the intent where it's like, mm. it, it works on multiple levels because it works on a thematic level mm. in quite a on the nose way. Then it also works you know, on a on a layered way in the um, in sort of the the world of the actual comic. Yeah, because I mean, like I also I can see it that way as well that it works as like a, okay, yeah, nostalgia because these guys are nostalgic from when they used to be adventurers way back. Um, and but, but also often, for, yeah, like what Askew said, they start uh, at the end of the book. They start talking about going back to being costume adventures so it is it works on that level as well where it's like yeah. we are where yeah we're back in the saddle but also i'm like a middle-aged dude like it, yeah <laughs> yeah um so the whole the whole point of this is like the whole point of this story is we we had superheroes emerge um in the 40s like it kind of follows like actual comic history doesn't it when you think about it in the way that they introduce superheroes in this timeline, in this story, in this timeline of, of um, well, it's it's supposed to be our world, isn't it? It's like an alternate timeline. Oh, so you mean as we got the comics? They yeah. Actually, so if you look at yeah, them going out and doing this. Yeah. So like the first Minutemen and whatever in the forties, the the first group of superheroes, the Minutemen, which is where the comedian and uh, Laurie's mother, the first Silk Spectre um were operational like you get and the first night owl as well um you get like um it's like golden age comics and the the way that the um the way that they're they're introduced in the 40s is kind of like the same way that superheroes began to reappear uh, began to appear in the 40s and then um there was a resurgence in the 60s wasn't there with the crime busters yeah yep and then after that they were back again in the 70s up until the keen act right yeah so it's kind of like following actual comic book history up to the point that moore and uh gibbons were, were conceiving all of this oh it, it definitely was i i've got yeah. no uh doubt whatsoever that that is the the prime intent of yeah. the timeline even down to the way the lettering's done in mm. the stories because if you look at it like you know when they're doing like the golden age stuff we'll call it the golden age stuff which is when the original Minutemen were around you've got these like these curved edge balloons um yeah lettering very reminiscent of the um the lettering in early comics when you look at early superhero comics and stuff that that was the style and then as comics evolved the style changed and then in the 60s we've got like a different style of lettering and into the silver age and then into the what was then the bronze the bronze age and the modern age uh we've got these kind of like jagged edged um speech bubbles that are a little bit more um a little bit harsher a little bit more um mm. 
you know, a little bit realer, I guess. Um, and uh, just side note, I can't talk about the lettering in this without mentioning that um, Dave Gibbons' lettering was the inspiration for the greatest ever crime against humanity, that is Comic Sans. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't have as much hate towards Comic Sans nah. as everyone else. <laughs> I've, I've got a, so you, I just, I've got a question uh, with the yeah. Keen Act, not in relation to the comic, but what was going on in our world with comics in that in the in the seventies, were people getting bored of superhero comics, and it's kind of like a hark to that that um, they outlawed them? Or because I don't know as a no, as a, obviously I wasn't alive for a start, but I don't have that same history that you guys might have. Of it's it's more things were moving towards. Um, so the comic code was there, but like they were kind of like openly openly flaunting the comics code. Like, so do you um, think they're implying that with the comics code was also the the outlaw of good comics? No, no, no. I don't. I don't think that. The, I think the Keen Act is just a story device in Watchmen, right, uh, which okay. is what forced them all to retire. I don't yeah. think that's got anything to do with actual comics history because in in mm-hmm. in, in actual comics, if you look at the seventies, um, that's when uh, well, like throughout the seventies is when Kirby wrote um the fourth world stuff isn't it that was like early 70s and throughout the 70s you've got like a lot of spider-man a lot of marvel comics published in the 70s a lot of dc comics in the 70s it was kind of like almost the beginnings of the heyday what we call the bronze age of comics where things were getting a little bit more real again and uh you'd had comics dealing with like subject matter like drugs and uh you've got these famous issues of the black panther where he fights the kkk that kind well, of stuff where it gets a little bit more socially aware. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's more symbolic of that. Like the yeah. old style of hero isn't going to cut it because you're all banned. Yeah, You've it's like things... A little bit. Heroes losing their innocence, I guess, is the way you could frame it. Because um, the golden age of comics, I mean, obviously we get to see behind the camera and it's it's not so innocent in the way Watchmen put it, but... Um, the golden age of comics, um, we had this innocence, we had this like, uh, you know, these, these very, um, very black and white, good and bad stories, these very, um, like this dichotomy of good and evil and, 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 you know, like good is, good is whiter than white bread, good and bad is badder than bad. And, uh, there was no sort of moral ambiguity there. And then in the 60s, um, we had these heroes, but these heroes with more um, real problems. Like Spider-Man, for example, he was a real teenager. He had real problems that real teenagers had back then, you know, girl trouble, etc. Um, and then you had um, like uh, heroes like the X-Men, which again, you know, like real teenagers dealing with real problems, dealing with being... Uh, dealing with prejudice being mutants and everything else and they're starting to deal with that sort of stuff and then in the 70s they kind of started to deal with those things more and um where the comics code prohibited certain things being in comics i think stan lee was like well we kind of have to do it anyway because this is a good story kind of thing um with some of the stuff i i mean obviously i'm gonna have to do like a we'll probably have to do a show on this at some point but um it's kind of like where where things started to lose their innocence a little bit and then obviously this comic watchman uh, is like the kind of like calling time on it and ushering in the dark age of comics if you will when mm-hmm. things really did begin to be more geared towards adult audiences 
well, I guess comic book fans of the youth were yeah growing up themselves at that point. Yeah, so. which is which is why there was a market for it exactly. Yeah, um, and obviously there still is a market for it because nowadays you can people like us we we grow up immersed in 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 comics and comics characters in Marvel and DC, and um, we later graduate to books like Watchmen. So I wonder what our Watchmen's going to be. What our uh, kind of generational defining comic? Because I still think it's going to be Watchmen. I don't know, you know, it's too, because uh, it's too present. I think um, there's a lot of movement now with the comics industry becoming more diverse. Um, comics representing more of the fan base and and being more representational in um you know representing different races different people with different sexualities uh stuff like that and and being more representational and being more diverse and and be more inclusive and i think out of that maybe we'll see like another maybe another renaissance i mean even this is kind of uh scratching that itch like there's so many, unfortunately, like NPCs. I don't want to say NPCs, yeah. but like the non-leads. Mm. You know, it feels diverse. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's some good representation of like um, the gay characters, the the trans um, person. Joe is it Joe? Uh, they get called. Yeah, and I was like Joey. at the time when I was reading this. Obviously, I was a kid, not like ignorant to it but it's it's going back to it. it's like wow this is for its time yeah yeah and it's and and you'll notice now in comics there's like things are a lot more um representational like in marvel comics and things like that things are moving to be more representational yeah which is a good thing because comics are for everyone and everybody should be able oh, to find yeah. something that they can anchor themselves to and recognize themselves in and enjoy do you think that's because there's so many of these like indie comics and stuff, it's just opening so many more doors for people's voices rather than having to rely on like a big company to give it a green light? Maybe, but the big companies are green lighting this stuff as well. Well, only now or do you think it's a reason? Because surely this comic should have paved the way. I mean, it's all, all great in hindsight, but... This paved the way for things like... Um a lot of the stuff you got from Virgo. So I, I would say this paved the way for the kind of things you were getting, like, like Sandman, for example, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Yeah. That kind of story. So, but I mean like, and then they paved the way for things like for, 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 um, for that kind of representation and this kind of, um, like in, in mainstream comics, I suppose. Yeah, so main, mainstream comics were still very would would still have been very geared up towards the traditional audience mm-hmm. of you know young white men, which is what a lot of these stories were geared to. A lot of these characters were young white men, young white men stories for young white men. I guess is what comics would have been back back way back when. Mm-hmm. But like now, um, with the way. I guess Watchmen paved the way for things that were getting published by Vertigo and then everything on Vertigo, uh, that kind of stuff, those kind of stories that were a little bit more edgier, a little bit more um, dealing with the, like 
dealing with a bit more like off the mainstream kind of stories would have paved the way for representation and mm. diversity in mainstream comics which is it's what crazy that yeah. like dealing with that kind of stuff is regarded or was regarded as being edgy that's uh it's crazy well i, I don't know yeah I don't know if that was the right word to use, really. But, no, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not <laughs> yeah. uh, picking at you here, but the yeah. fact that it's a, it's a novelty to have that. Mm. I mean, it's great that it's more present, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm no comics historian, so I mean... Yes, pop- you are, Greg. Every, everything I've said, everything I've said could have just been complete bullshit just then. But that's, that's the way I see it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, because... Like, I, I would say with this, like, starting at the beginning of the point, uh, with it uh, it mirroring the, the the various ages, so obviously when we get the um, the Minutemen, we're in the golden age of comics, and it's all sort of like uh, adventure adventurers and stuff, and the, the sole female character is like um, a, a, a pin-up, like literal pin-up style. Yeah, um, and then we get to the Silver Age of comics when we get the Crime Busters, and uh, that era is like dealing with a bit more, um, uh, like a bit more grit, but not really grit, uh, like you're saying, um, deal, dealing with like social and civil civil issues at the time. But it, it, in this way, it, it's still framed because they're still tools of the government. It's still framed as. Um, like um the right versus the wrong type thing so mm. you have this set of characters in 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 the 60s and all that's happened now is that the sole female character is wearing a sexy outfit instead of a pinup like a more a more modern 60s sexy outfit and um on their like map of things to do they've got it's all very standard like obviously Nixon's president it's a very standard um clean up the streets type thing and one of the things is like on the board that the, the comedian burns up. One is like black unrest. So it's, um, I think it sort of follows, uh, it, 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 as it's going through those errors, it's, it's sort of following the, the fears and the um, zeitgeist of, of the errors. Cause even you could say Dr. Manhattan is like a silver age character where he's more based on like, he's like sci-fi. What happened to him was an accident and he got powers type thing like with Spider-Man and yeah. various other heroes of, of, of the time. And then his, but, his emergence. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the time you get to like the seventies, like when the, the keen act has been passed, that's around the time of like, when we get in the bronze age, which starts to go on to like deeper and dark themes. But uh, at that point it's done. It's stopped. Uh, heroes are no longer allowed to work unless they're one of the few who are working with, for the president and, uh, yeah who is Nixon and uh, like furthering uh, his agenda. So I think you've got that because you've got that mirror, what you get after then in terms of what you're saying in terms of diversity, I think uh, Watchmen's only thing with diversity is like having a a couple of like side characters and Mm. uh, just have just them being there, but still of, of the, of the main uh, heroes who are part of this journey you've got uh the one uh one character and then Lux- a, a rest of uh, five the, white guys yeah the rest are, are yeah. white dudes um yeah and all the other stuff uh like you said 
edgy edgy is a good word used in the context of what you're saying yeah. because it's like um that would have been what it would have been deemed in the 80s and the 90s like oh it's edgy like this book's adult because it's got it's it's got non-straight people in there it's mm. got um uh a jive talking black kid for some reason mm. um but it like and it's got like a mix of all that stuff but how you connect that with today is that today you've got actual creators from those marginalized backgrounds who are creating the things and i think that's what a key difference is and why i wouldn't put too much credence in watchmen having a hand Mm. in that particular because this is this is what i'm getting at because people would uh, people from those marginalized populations like 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 leon says would have been reading this and then would have um and now they're working for dc and marvel and they're creating the heroes that represent them for DC and Marvel that represent other people like them. Yeah, and 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 in the way that Watchmen feeds into that is that Watchmen gave us a, uh, the general population like a diversity of type of story you can tell with, with mm. in in a mm. particular uh, genre, and I think that's where its uh, its legacy in those terms of things is more yeah. than having like some token background characters. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, that can't make sense. I mean, it's, it's a shame that all those kind of background characters are always there as a uh, like a, they've always got a sad story to them. But rather than kind of being like a, a triumphant character, it's always like ah oh, the 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 lesbian character from whenever with Sally Jupiter. Oh yeah, she gets killed. I feel like they're all all used as a device to yeah, I guess bring sympathy round rather than. Well, it was um, doing good yeah. things themselves. It was like the age that they were in back then, in the um, in the the golden age. You know that kind of stuff would have been. It was a scandal, wasn't it? Um, and and people people's attitudes towards that kind of stuff were very very different. Which, mm. but w- one thing where I would push back on that a bit, actually, with what you said, Askew, is that, um. What all of their storylines feed into, and one of one of the one of the things I really like about the book uh, or the story is that we 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 get snippets of these characters, and I do like the way how towards the end they all converge just before uh, Squid Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is cool because what that is doing is it's giving us New York, and by New York is giving us humanity because yeah. there there are. They're our only um, viewpoint into the world of normal people because we spend most of the time with people who are crime fighters or like mm-hmm. superheroes. But we, those are the people who are actually normal on uh, the streets, on living, the street, like yeah. yeah, humans. So like with um, them being selected to be like not just more other like standard people, but th- them being. Uh, of, of like more diverse than normal uh, sexualities or like uh, ethnicity, mm-hmm. it does sort of feed into the thing of like uh, the world. The world is a bit more th- this, and these are the I don't know are are stand-ins for the rest of society. So yeah. in that way, it's it's subversive in a in a in in a positive way in that sense. Mm. I never even considered that, and that's uh, that's really good. Hmm. So, 
Watchmen does have a very, very rich legacy, I think, in comics. And um, it it really did pave the way, like we've been saying for this entire cast. Um, I just wanted to mention, like, a few of, like, like I guess, favourite moments in the book. Because my favourite issue is the issue that deals with Rorschach's past. Um, I just wanted to bring up an observation of mine, actually, that he looks like, um, you know, when he takes his mask off. Mm. Do you not think he looks like the kid from the Mad Magazine covers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, why? Why is that one uh, your favourite? Why is that? I I don't know. I think I just I think because I find I think Ra- for me Rorschach is the most interesting character. Um, I like. I think it's because he feels like a Batman villain. In that he has like a a kind of like a, a, you know, he's actually mentally ill. And he, you know, and and the way he expresses that and deals with that and, you know, his past and everything else and and everything that came together to make him like it was, it wasn't like something, you know, he wasn't a government agent. He wasn't rich and had all the gadgets. He, he became this because he you know because of all the trauma that led up to it and everything else hmm. and i think so it's because like it's the proto joker yeah the, well in terms of the we live in a society style joker yeah no because he's more like i guess if if we're going to go down that line that's what um that's what the comedian is well ah see i don't think i agree with, i think there's nothing in the community well obviously we don't know his full past but I I do like Rorschach, don't get me wrong, but I like the fact that the comedian is bad because he's bad. I don't... How am I, how am I wording this? Rorschach's got good excuse, I suppose you could say the word excuse, for how he acts and how he is, whereas I almost think that seems kind of cliche, whereas all the other characters, I, feel like, I don't want to say more fleshed out, but they feel yeah. more like people... No, I'm not saying that the normal person doesn't go through like child abuse, all that kind of stuff by no means. But I'm using the comedian as an example. His actions are that just of a bad person with no justification from his childhood or anything like that that we know about, that we know about. So I think that's why, at least on this run, I think Rorschach might have been, this is going to sound insane, possibly one of the least interesting characters Mm. yes think, he's got the like the groundwork yeah. and that building them up but i almost feel i'm almost bored of that i think uh, it was the air I, of I think... sorry sorry yeah i was gonna say i think it was the air of mystery surrounding him up until that point oh no don't don't, don't get me wrong you don't have to yeah. justify honestly i love that yeah but reading it this time round as an adult i think there's more interesting stuff yeah. that's a lot more subdued and kind of yeah discreet and that's the thing. I think one of the reasons you feel that way is that I think a lot of creators have taken the Rorschach... Um, as a crutch. Well, not a crutch. Uh, they've taken the Rorschach template and uh, put it on like nearly every villain or every <laughs> anti-hero. Yeah. So you're, at this point, you've been uh, over... 
uh, I guess desensitized to that as a with with that archetype thing was like that in some ways that's like literally the storyline of the the recent Joker movie. Yeah, it is. It is. It it, it seeded everywhere, Mm -hmm. and I think in some ways you've you've got people who are given the right lessons from that, and in other ways we've got the anti-hero dilemma where a lot of people uh, took the wrong lessons from that. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, I could read this maybe a year's time when I'm you know, in a different mindset, different films out, all that kind of stuff, and be yeah. like, yeah, Rorschach is the best character. He is the most interesting character, but I just think there's a... Not disagreeing with what you're saying, I think there's a lot... Yeah, and I, I don't I don't want to dismiss it as living a society joker because I don't feel that's <laughs> what it is. But yeah... I don't know. I, I well, thought my my yeah. point with that uh, was more leaning to what I was just saying of Askew, yeah. where yeah, it it it's become that brand of antihero. Yeah, I like I like the character design of Rorschach as well. I think. Oh, I think that yeah. design is is fantastic. Which on the other side of this yeah. coin, I hate the original comedian design with the mask. Oh I think yeah, it's really ugly. I don't really know what it's going for, like, because I know he's meant to be a comedian and it's kind of like clown-like, and it's got like, um, like the colours around the eyes and stuff. But maybe it's like a forced smile because it's like got his teeth on show and stuff. It's meant to be like forcing a smile. I, think, I, I don't know, but I don't, know. I don't like that design too much. I, I think it's, mm, I don't know. Um, do you think with Rorschach? there is a potential flaw in that character in the way that they've been picked up over the years. Yes. It, what, what do you mean? What, well, Rorschach was clearly written and uh, even more said this a million times and it's on the page as to be a, a sociopath. Like this is what an actual detective superhero would be like. This is what happens when you have someone with such extreme right-wing views who... Mm-hmm. Uh, for him, attempted rape is just a momentary lapse, but like uh, any minor crime is uh, a more absolute, you should be punished for it. Um, this is a guy, obviously, who has been interpreted to be cool, where like loads of people, if you talk to a random person who knows about Watchmen and <laughs> seen the movie and ask them who their favourite character is, they'll say Watchmen, and they won't say it's their favourite character because it's the most interesting character and it's called the character work is because it was a person who was anti-government, who was um, he was, he's yeah. the one who told the truth. He's he's the one why why anyone will know what will happen. He didn't because... he didn't back down in the face of the conspiracy. Yeah, and he walked yeah, out of the like, base and yeah. And he's basically like uh, QAnon. Mm. Uh, the 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 character like he is he is walking that he believes in all these um, conspiracy theories, conspiracy and... theories and stuff and. Um, but he's presented to be like a cool question type person who wears a cool hat and he goes around hurting villains and stuff. And he's the one who knows the real deal uh, to the level where even like Ted Cruz said he was one of his top five superheroes. And it's like, that's hilarious because it says more about, it says more about Ted Cruz than he wanted it to say. <laughs> but, um, but like, that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people yeah, in the same way that people, um, connect with people like Travis Bickle from uh, Taxi Driver, where Travis Bickle is a horrible person. Uh, he's a great character study, and he's amazing to watch in the movie, but he's a horrible people, but a lot of people, for them, it's just uh, are you talking to me? 
Yeah, <laughs> like, that that's that's all it is, and and like the mohawk and all that. Like, I think that sometimes the aesthetic, uh, if the aesthetic betrays the um, the intent, mm. then the intent will be taken wrong. I don't think the aesthetic betrays um, the intent in the book, but I can see how after this book happened like um frank miller books got really really big and then we got the, the extreme 90s i can see how that would just keep building to the fact that yeah you've got people who stan stan rorschach and and anti-heroes of that but type without you, um yeah digging into them at all when see, i'm actually... guilty of not to that extreme but i'm guilty of thinking rorschach's really cool and i don't think i'm gonna like stand here and be like yeah you're right it, maybe i shouldn't like him but I think I like him with more of a nuance than just yeah. He sticks it to the man, da 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 da. But I couldn't. I can't put it into words. So maybe I am. Yeah. Maybe I am guilty as being. I'm. 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 Just... I'm like you, Askew. I'm guilty of falling into that trap because mm-hmm. I had I felt. I, I, I did fall into that trap when I was a teenager. When I was younger, but, I was like, okay, like yeah, Rorschach. The, the Walter White thing. It's like yeah, Tony Soprano. It's all these mm-hmm. things because they're the main character. And because they stick it to the man and look cool or say things that are cool, have loads of quotable yeah. lines and stuff. Yeah. I think what happens, because I'm not one of those people who says that you can't, uh, like, just in case, like, listener think this, I'm not saying that you can't um, like villains. I love villains. Villains are great. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think... You have to know their villains and not idolise them. <laughs> yeah, like, I think, yeah, I think you can appreciate that Rorschach looks cool, his mask yeah. is awesome and all that stuff, and a lot of, a lot of, some of his, his a lot of his yeah. lines, like, out of context, do sound badass when you read them. But I think there's extra work to do there that a lot of people don't do, and that's realised that well, the book, the book yeah. is point, the book's holding us at the end is near sign in our face saying, this guy is not not a, not a good person that you want to emulate. In well, he way. reads the New Frontiersman, and then there's an article from the New Frontiersman that basically excuses the behaviour of the clan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like all these things. Like when you actually like, you know, he's not. I mean, he's he's just not a nice guy, is he at all? See, I don't. St- like, I, I get what you're saying, Elliot. Yeah. I don't stand him in that sense. I think he's. A, I'm with you. I think you can like a character, but people go. Yeah, above and beyond. Uh... That's that's how I feel. Like I, I feel about him the same way that I enjoy a good Batman villain. Because but they almost yeah. feel a lot more tongue in cheek than Rorschach does. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah, but I enjoy him in the same way I enjoy those characters. In that, there's usually some kind of like you know. Um. I don't know, but yeah, I mean that's that was why I found Rorschach the most interesting. I love, I like his story and I like his issue. Um, the character that I actually feel really sorry for is John. I don't think as a character, I don't feel sorry for. I don't feel Honestly, sorry for I Dan don't... because I think Dan has quite a comfortable life, and he's like, uh, see, I think he's been living this comfort. Yeah, in hope it's it's almost like he's living this um, life where this comfort is just a comfort blanket that's just waiting to be torn off his body and let him do what he wants to do. Which yeah, is what Laurie. It's not Laurie as a person. It's like it's just her him meeting her in this in yeah. the circumstance lets him revisit his path with the whole nostalgia thing. But 
He's literally having a midlife crisis. Yeah, except, yeah. Except for like a, a Porsche or Ferrari, mm. he's got the owl jet thing. <laughs> Archie. Archie. <laughs> Archie. But it's like it was called Archie. Yeah, Archimedes. But he's um, it's like he's got like the whole like um, he's like old before he's old type thing going on. It's because well, when he was a young I... kid, he hang out with an old dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> him and Hollis are like. Yeah. See, I feel real. I, I don't think as a character, if anybody, I think I feel sorry least for John. If there's anybody who doesn't need the sympathy of termites like us, it's um, Doctor Manhattan. But I'll tell you why okay. I feel sorry for Doctor Manhattan. Right? Mm-hmm. He he was, you know, it was an accident, and he managed to sort of like through sheer will bring himself back and he's dealing with the fact that he's now a god and he's losing his humanity and he no longer feels human he no longer refers to himself as john he's like john john he even says it didn't kill john and it won't kill me that's like later on in the book so he doesn't see himself as the same person anymore but um, for that reason i don't have any sympathy toward but he has above that but understanding of personality but, and human nature he is way beyond the sense of that but because he's still human in a sense in his mind i don't and think he's he never is. i don't th- i think even when like he a... was human he never had any agency people were making decisions for him if you look at his interactions with other characters like when he uh, describes how he met his first wife when he was handed the beer and everything mm-hmm. else it's almost like he just fell into everything like, he just fell into it. Like, he had these decisions made for him by other people, and he just went along with it and just fell into it. And and because he has absolutely no agency, and now that's led him to becoming a super weapon rather than, you know. But, yeah, like, as you say, um, that is, that's, a, that's a, like a great point because... Yeah. Uh, John, John doesn't... Because like, I'm sure there's a line about his dad... Um, not pushing him, but like, uh, yeah, like suggesting he, was... he go the, the the career he goes in, yeah, and and then everything is um, sort of like laid out for him, um, and to the level where it's even destiny, really, that like, yeah, because uh, as it's presented, it's like in my future, um, the 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 watch uh, the watch is, is waiting in 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 the chamber for me to go to it. And I think what makes John sad in the end is that, yeah, he's an omnipotent being, whatever, but he has less free will than we do. Because, yeah. Uh, it's from, already predetermined. Yeah, going off going off the, what the text says and then applying that to, like, humanity as, a, as large. So assume there, there isn't, um, like it's all predestined and um, we don't have free will as it's presented in the book. But just yeah. take that as a given. Yeah. So we humans, we can't see like the forest for the trees. So while that is the case, we don't know it. So we still have the illusion that our actions are, have consequences. Mm. Yeah. Whereas he doesn't get to live that lie because he experiences it all at the same time. So he's kind of trapped. Like why would a guy enter relationships um, that he knew were going to break up because he was there when they broke up. Like he can't, he still ha- so in a, in a sense he has to sort of go through the motions, and that's what mm. is it. He's like trapped. But, but with his understanding of time, 
surely he knows that by erring from that path, he could change it. But just like... Uh, I don't think he can change it because he's yes. living it at the same time. It, it, like 10 years down the line to him is three now. seconds. Ago. It's now. It, and it, it's yeah. not now. But, but he, wasn't, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have a future or a past. He's experiencing all yeah. at the same time. But it's like his... No. his yeah. He kind of there is something I always like pick up on. His actions do dictate an outcome, but obviously they're already preterm because he tells Laurie that she's going to walk away crying or whatever else when they're on Mars. And because of his actions having an impact, if he'd never have said that, would she have done it? And which I mean, there's a whole, it depends how you kind of yeah. think about time theory and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But well, using the time theory that this book is using... The rules, yeah. It, it always happened. It's like the thing of, yeah, like, yeah. someone pushed me out of traffic when I was 10 or whatever, and then later on, when you're 20, you go back in time and push yourself out of the way of traffic. Yeah. If we dig into it and with quantum mechanics and all that stuff, your head will explode. But going off what the book sets up of this particular popular theory of time travel, or, like, time as a, as a construct, yeah. then everything that happened did happen and will always happen what was happening yeah or everything that's going to happen has already happened mm. yeah so i guess yeah i mean he because he experiences all time at once that's why he feels he has no agency but that's why i feel sorry for him also <laughs> I, I would say that as we see with him he tries to create like he tries to have relationships with people but like there's no there's no second god for him to have a relationship with, so he he can, he has relationships with human women. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they're a bit too young for him, but uh, like he he has relationships with human women, and they just don't a, just a little bit too young for him, Alien. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> very much so. I'm putting that on the record, very much so. But um, yeah. and, and they it doesn't work out for him because because he experiences time in the way that he is, and because of him no longer uh, being one of the ants. Uh, he's always going to be terrible at relationships with with someone who mm. is subject to all of those laws. So even with the mm. epiphany that he has later in the book, where humans human life well life is worth saving because of uh, thermodynamic miracles, because of the randomness, how these set of actions led to these set of actions, led to these set of actions, led to this and this time here, and you fell in love with me X Y Z blah 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 blah. Even having that. His thing is to say, I, I'm going to create life of my own because at that point he knows there's not a there's not another uh, Doctor Manhattan for for him. So he, in that way, he's sort of lonely because he's the only one. He's he's not the last one of his kind. He's the only one of his kind. Mm. So he now has to take a different role, and that is as as the, the uh, yeah the creator. Mm. Which like that's how good the. the that's how good the writing and art is in this book that makes you have sympathy and feel uh, sad for a god. <laughs> well, he's a very sad god. But yeah. I, I mean... want to... <clears throat> Go on, sorry, Greg. I was going to say, he makes some questionable choices. But yeah, yeah but he is a douchebag as well when you think yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Be- because, yeah, yeah, he date- dates a 16-year-old girl, which is bad enough, but like he doesn't uh, stop the comedian killing uh, yeah. his baby mother with who with child. Yeah. Um, he helps Nixon uh, win the Vietnam War. 
uh, so he basically is an, an American imperialist agent at that point. So he's not good at all. Yeah. Um, and, and from that point on, he's just selfish. He's just like, oh, he, he creates cool things. So technology moves quicker, but he could literally end world hunger and stuff like that. But, but he decides he, not to. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't do it. And then when things get a bit hot, he's just like, well, I'm going there. Yeah. He, he just, well, he goes, just, goes he just decides, yeah, decides not to meddle. Though when he does leave for Mars, it's he possibly has the most human moment, at least for his character in the entire book, where he's on, he's getting interviewed by the news, and obviously they've got all these uh, blah 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 got cancer, and he worked alongside it. Da, da, da. That response, it's kind of surprising that he acts like that. But hmm. well, this is something I, who... I've been thinking about because he experiences it all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So. Part of my part of me thinks that why does he ever laugh or why does is he ever surprised by things? Mm. And you could say like, oh, that's a inconsistency of like the science and the character. Or well, actually, Laurie brings that up because mm. she says he still behaves surprised when he found out about me and you, even though he knew he was going to find out about me and you to Dan. And and that's the thing. <laughs> I think it's be- because. So, so this is like, so you know when they when we talk about like, um, like uh, bulk beings, and they're like fifth dimensional beings. Mm. So, and we we obviously run on three dimensions where we we couldn't we wouldn't know what a fourth dimension was at all. But if you assume, say, the fourth dimension is like time, then you still you're still like, what the hell is a fifth dimension? So, like, if if there was a, a fifth dimensional object in front of you, what would it look like? Would it be continuous, uh, continuously morphing in front of you because it couldn't hold yeah. a shape in 3D space. Um, like, what what the hell um, would it look like? And I think that's kind of what it is for us. So our interpretation of it is uh, he is um, going through the motions. So why would he, like, laugh or whatever? But I think for him, because he's experiencing all those things at the same time, it's only in it's only when he has to refer to something that that actually becomes a thing. But I think he still is. I think he, he, he's still present in the moment. It's just for him. The present moment is the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It is. (laughs) Which is why that, like that issue, um, issue number four is my favorite issue. Yeah. Because I think, yeah. Well, I think it's just really effective in in marrying a, a few things together particularly us getting to see the world through john's eyes but also the fact that uh reading a comic is is exactly the same as how john interprets time if i pick up my copy of watchman and, and flick through it i can go to like one of the last issues and read that page and i can flick mm-hmm. through and go back to one of the first um um pages in one of the first issues uh, yeah. and i and like when you open a page uh, the whole panel you see it at the same time and then you fixate on one and i think that um like issue four is basically comics the issue um mm. and relating it to this character i think it's just a lot of like really smart ideas like converging yeah when, in one. when you put it that way time for time for john is comics because <laughs> he sees it all at once he's like reading the beginning of the run and the end of the run all at the same time <laughs> he doesn't need a pull list <laughs> <laughs> he is the pull list no yeah um but yeah so 
Yeah, in 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 a way, that is a really interesting issue. And, and when you put it that way, Leon, because I never actually thought about it like that. That is like a really interesting storytelling device. And like quite meta, actually, when you think about it, that because the way the, yeah the way he sees time is the way we view comics. So in and a I way, on a level that we can't even understand or compare. Yeah. It, it, the, the closest thing that we can compare it, the closest thing we can use to compare it is a comics page. Because we can see the past and the future at the same time. And the only way... That involves us turn and he doesn't even require a, a yeah. turn. Well, a, you don't. If you, if you look at a page and you just scan a whole comics page, you can see something that's happening in the past and something that's happening in the future. And everything in between. So, yeah. When you look at four... Like, imagine just four panels in front of you. Of a guy walking down the street. Like, one panel is outside house number one. End panel is outside house number <laughs> ten. And you can see both of those at once. I guess so. Yeah. And that's thing, like... And they... they uh, like, Moore and Gibbons flex of that. And then the very next issue, they flex again with uh, is it a fearful symmetry. Yeah. And like that... That is a flex. I mean, now it would be looked on as a gimmick if someone did that now. But the fact that the whole book just mirrors itself, it's like a palindrome and then you get to the middle and you have the yeah. splash page. It's like, yeah, that's next level. That is, that is amazing. And, <laughs> and it we... always blows, me, blows my mind when I go back to it. And palindromes, Ice Cream Man. They yeah. did that. Yeah. But it, but in a more overt way. But yeah, it was, it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful issue. Fearful Symmetry is spot on. And like, the um just the way that they use uh other little things in within fearful symmetry as well like there's a lot of symmetry inside the symmetry so although the whole comic is like you know palindromic in its layout um there's actually if you look at um in in some of the panels in the comics there's certain things that appear that are like based around being symmetrical and things like that um some of it by accident actually because um uh dave gibbons goes on record by saying that he was told by alan moore because the, that book fearful symmetry begins with a hippie killing his family doesn't it because he thinks he's saving them from world war three or whatever so he murders his wife and kids um and uh alan moore said that he wanted there to be some kind of like 60s paraphernalia in the scene like when you see the room with the posters and stuff and um there's an album cover that appears in it which is um a grateful dead album and uh it is um I can never, I can never say this word because it's like a, it's a palindrome. The word itself, the title of the app, this is all pure by accident. Like he just happened across this in a book of album covers when he went through looking for album covers and he just happened across it and it just happened to be perfect for the thing. The title of the album is a palindrome because it's A-O-X-O-M-O-X-O-A, which I think is supposed to be pronounced. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, Oxa uh, Oxa It's a it's a meaningless palindrome, and you would pronounce it Oxa Um, but like 
even the artwork as well like if you look at the the album art it's like symmetry the skull and crossbones with the two eggs and like it's like it's cut completely down the middle and then drawn symmetrical on both sides like a Rorschach blot but yeah it's 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 down to that level where I mean this is just something he happened he just happened across it in a book of album covers that he had where he wanted uh he was looking through it for something to put in and um that's that's what happened so um it's like yeah like down to little things like that so and and like the the very symmetrical design of the um you know the rum runner skull and crossbones design with the back to back mm-hmm. r's yeah yeah it's reflected in the puddle yeah stuff like that it's just yeah it's everywhere um so yeah it's um it's put together on such an insane level it's mad um but yeah there we go that is that is what Watchmen is. It's just insane uh, but, 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 attention to detail. I want to, to mention my most important, my favourite chapter. I wasn't, I wasn't going to gloss over you. I was going to let you, you mention your most No, I was just finishing a point. Insane levels oh, of detail. Apologies. Carry on. I've done closure. <laughs> I was not closing. Go on. Uh, chap- chapter 12. Yeah. Every day of the week for me. I think those first like three or four pages, they, they kind of take your breath away, mm. even though you know it's coming. The, the, yeah. the artwork is undeniably fantastic, but it's like, oh shit, it actually happened. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, at least when I reread it this time, I tried to forget. Mm. Which is, it's a hard thing to do. You try to put out your mind what you already remember and yeah. try and go in as empty and as blank as you can. And it still caught me off guard, those those couple of pages, like the full yeah. pages, the blood and the, the devastation. And I think it's it really... <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I guess so, and it's, yeah, it's just such a, blood. a strong image with the blood pouring down yeah. the, like, the clock with the doomsday. It's, it's finally struck 12, which is, I guess, simple because it's quite obvious and on the yeah. nose, but it's honestly, it's such a breathtaking yeah. couple of pages. And it's just, you know, little things like the smiley face, uh, the smiley face motif appearing all the way through the book and... Um, just all the attention to detail in there and just like the, the the absolute madness of the plot itself like all these creatives that have been spirited away to this island in secret to create this giant squid thing that is a feat of genetic engineering that is then going to teleport for the sole ex- for the sole purpose of exploding it and killing people <laughs> like <laughs> the thing lasts a split second it's like <laughs> and i weirdly even though i know kind of who dies and all that stuff there's something aware of the story and the pacing in that last chapter with the characters. Mm. I have a certain fear for them. And I think yeah. it's because Ozymandias is so like enigmatic throughout the entire book. Yeah. The entire book. And then you finally, I guess it's a chapter in some ways dedicated to him because you learn yeah. about his past. Da, 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 da. And it's just fantastic. And there's something that the comic led me down the garden path in many ways mm. because I forgot. I don't know how. I forgot who Laurie's father was. And I, like, there's a point where she thinks it's Hooded Justice. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe it, I couldn't remember. And then you get the scene where the comedian sees her in the, after one of the parties. And he's like, yeah. oh, can I not even talk to my, uh, and he gets interrupted. My old and friend's even that, daughter. I wasn't, yeah. yeah, I thought that was like a red heron. Yeah. And and then I was like, mm, is it? And then by the end, obviously, it's in that last scene with Sally. Yeah. 
uh, kissing the 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 photograph of the comedian and stuff. It's I, I, honestly, I was taken along for the ride, and I, I yeah for a book that I know I don't want to say inside and out. I think there's a lot of details that you can overlook on a read, and then you go back and read well, again, and you pick up on stuff differently. Yeah, it's like every time. Well, I'm I'm saying like between when I first read this and what I remembered about it to when I I started reading it again in preparation for this. Like it felt like a completely different book. I think and, that's. I, I still think that's with yeah. um, age. Yeah, but like, it's again, also. I think every time you look at it, you notice something else as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's it's one of those books where it's just so much detail crammed in. There's just so much crammed into each page and each chapter that mm-hmm. every time you look at it, you discover something else. And, and whereas I think another strong, not to mention another favorite chapter, but chapter 11, where you first see the snow, yeah. um, that's really like, wow, white, like really bright white. And it's, it's a really mm. change of visual style. And I was like, wow, this looks great. I do you like get that, that beautiful moment where yeah. Rorschach apologizes to Night Owl. Yeah. And shakes down. And that, honestly, that like I was like, oh, once again, I'm, I'm empathizing with the uh, the psychopath, but uh, I think it's a nice moment because yeah. he is his only friend at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's after Night Owl kind of has a bit of an outburst on him, like saying, "Like no yeah. wonder, uh, it's so hard to be friends with you." Yeah, and like he's right, he he's is, totally yeah. right. And then you have that. I think that's me most sympathetic moment for him. It's almost like Night Owl is enabler in a way as well, <laughs> like. <laughs> you know well i think he kept him on a bit of a leash because yeah while he worked with night owl they were far more clean cut and then he started obviously killing his uh well it was the the one case that sent him over the edge wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. when rorschach was born when it was no longer walt walter pretending to be rorschach yeah walter <laughs> kovach but yeah i tell you night owl looks hilarious in that last chapter as well where he's yeah. like got dyed hair and a tash oh god yeah where he's blonde <laughs> yeah it's i mean i understand that idea of like hiding yeah your identity stuff. yeah i really like that last moment where she goes and visits her mother and it's where it's oh, there's something uh laurie says well in fact it is it she says i know who my father is yeah and it's almost like laurie's gone to forgive her mother and i feel like sally's been holding this inside for so long that Laurie knows this and it kind of acts as a way for her to let it let go and kind of. Yeah. Unfortunately, let it be in the past, uh, mm. like obviously the tragic moments as well, but I think it's just a nice moment for those two characters who probably feel, at least to me, they've never had a, a proper mother daughter relationship. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what a proper mother, a proper relationship of any sort is, but she's always been like that forced into doing the superhero thing, yada, yada, yada yeah yeah agreed um so does anybody have anything further to add to this mammoth two-hour podcast before uh before we close up honestly i'm gonna have to say no because i could keep going and as um, leon said in, in the group chat earlier there's yeah there's almost like nothing that hasn't been said about this book unfortunately god why can't this have like came out last week I know, I know. It's mad. Like the freedom there. And I, I think when I was leading up to this, I thought, yeah, I'm going to enjoy revisiting again. But it's actually better 
even better than I remember. I think I, I really appreciate it as a fine work of art. and Yeah. It's been a pleasure to talk about it. I was really anxious Indeed. excited to like talk about this with you lot. And yeah, I think it's, there's nothing quite, there's no comic book that's as good as this for me personally. Yeah. I don't read as much as you guys. I, I get that. But um, I'm a graph, graphic novel dude. Mm. <laughs> no, yeah, GM for me, guy. for me, this is um, like a, uh, I think I can appreciate it more reading it again now than I could because obviously I know more, I've grown more, I'm, you know, a different person than what I was mm. when I was younger and I can appreciate it more now than I could back then, definitely for sure. And I feel that for 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 what it is and for what it represents in in the history of comics there's not not a lot that does compare to it and I agree with you it is it is like the top of the mountain if you will like there's not a lot I mean I mean I read a lot of comics and I read a lot of do things you? that I do I really yeah no I read a lot of comics and I read a lot of things that I would say you know, I can hold up on, on this podcast and I can say, read this because it's brilliant. And, you know, this, this is one in Eisner. You need to get on this or whatever. And I can, I can, I can shout about things. And I can rave about things. And I can say, this needs critical acclaim. This is great. But what I can't do is, um, say that anything is as important to comics as this book, maybe. Hmm when i think about it i mean someone's going to correct me they always <laughs> i can i can oh, feel it pro- i mean it, but... it's very personal yeah because uh, i feel like uh this i don't think i don't want to say it defined me but it's yeah it very much makes like i know what kind of stories i like and whether it's because of this or what but it's, yeah this is certainly the kind of stuff that i like i'm really excited to talk about the film yeah next me too. time and the other yeah. con- and of course the tv show i think yeah uh, there's a fantastic interview I'd recommend people watch on YouTube, which is somebody asks Alan Moore what he thinks yeah. of the film and how it translates from from the comics to the films. And it's such a great uh, piece that he says about it. And, like, he's a bit of a dick. I'm sorry, mm. like, I mean, he he's very he's very strong opinions, like, opinionated, yeah. which... Yeah. But I feel like he can be. I feel like if there's yeah. anybody who can say it, films don't comics don't translate well to film mm. it's gonna be him yeah easy i mean like i i in some ways i agree with him because i mean as we've discussed at length on this cast before there are a lot of things you can do with comics that you can't do with film oh in yeah, film yeah. in film time's very linear and going back to the uh the doc manhattan thing uh-huh. um that's just how it is you know it's like you with film film's very linear and then you can still like you can go all over the place with with comics. Comics is it can do very interesting things with time that film can't, and can show you moments in several different from several different angles in several different ways that yeah. uh, and things you just cannot get with a film, especially with action scenes and things like that. So at, at the same time as well, yeah. the fact that I wouldn't respect, I wouldn't, yeah, what's the word? I wouldn't respect what he says as much if he was the. If he'd let his film, if he's let his comics get made into films and got the money for it, yeah, he strips his name from any of the films. He gets no money from any of it. Yeah. So like, he's serious about it. He's mm. not just lazy, you know. And with that, I think we have to come to a close. That has been Ace Comicals episode number eighty-three. 
um, we have begun our journey to discussing Watchmen. Um, and uh, what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll come back to you with uh, the next episode on this, which will be sometime in the future where we will discuss the uh, the movies and the film media. So, uh, ask you, where can we find you? Uh, you can find my podcast. Well, not mine, but I'm part of a podcast called Dynamite in the Brain, which is dynamite dynamiteinthebrain.com. Twitter is Ant Askew, and I also play games on Twitch, which is also Ant Askew. I don't think I'll ever play the Watchmen game on stream, though. But I have played a demo of that game. <laughs> it's uh, just just is where it is. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B A T T O U. Mostly talking about comics. Um, join the conversation at me dm me whatever give me some recommendations to read and tell them what's a more important comic to the industry than watchmen yeah exactly disagree with everything i've just said on this podcast yeah i'm not trying to like (laughs) put that out as a challenge i'm just saying yeah i like to hear what people think is yeah it's important to them it is yeah i want to i want to know what's i know i want to know what you guys uh if you guys have opinions on that i want to know them so yeah come come at me uh But yeah, so you can find me on Twitter under Abato. You can find uh, Ace Comicals on Twitter at Ace Comicals. Um, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. You can find everything Ace Comicals at www.acecomicals.com. Um, I mean, like we have, we're pretty much everywhere you can find a podcast: Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Castro, um, iTunes. Uh, have I missed any? Probably, but we've there. got a coffee. Yeah, we've got a coffee yet, so if you are so inclined, you can donate the price of a coffee to help keep the lights on here at Ace Comicals. All the money that we get goes to defray the cost of keeping the website hosted and everything else. I uh, thought it went more comics. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which I wouldn't be the pay. worst thing, so you know. No, yeah, no, we use it. We use it all to pay for. Um, if we do get any donations, we use it to to go against the cost of uh, keeping the website hosted and everything else. So. Um, Thanks very much for having me on, Greg. Yeah, Leon. no problem. It's been a pleasure to have you, actually. It's been great to have you here. This so... is possibly my favourite thing to talk about. Yeah. Whether the it's... listeners agree or Leon agrees. Cool. Um, we didn't even mention Bubastis, but I'm not going to now. No, we'll do that next time. <laughs> We've got another two episodes of Watchmen to go I know, this, I don't want so... it's great. This is just part one. This is just like, you know, the appetiser. The starter. It's a two-hour starter, <laughs> but yeah, there were two and a half hours nearly. Jeez, but there we go. Yeah, so um, that has been Ace Comicals episode number eighty-three. So that is Ace Comicals over and out. <laughs>